What is up? We are back. This is Football Life Presents the Audible, episode 57 on this Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. Matt Bushnell, number 57. A lot of good uh, you know, linebackers in the 50s here. Uh, before we get going here, tell me the first number you, person you think of wearing number 57. Kind of a weird number, right? Oh, well, you know what? For me, it goes to a very distinguished gentleman, a, a gentleman that if you mess with him at an FBI gun range, he's probably going to break your jaw with a metal plate. Um, and that honor goes to one Olin Krutz. All right. Could be a Hall of Fame center. One of the greatest Bears offensive linemen I in my lifetime. So 57 to Olin Krutz, baby. Woo! All right. All right. Well, Olin Krutz, shout out on the show. For far as football goes, I mean, the Giants, they had a guy named Jaquin, Jaquan Williams play for a while. They touted him as like the most athletic linebacker of all time. He ended up being a bum. So I'm not going to go with him. I'm going to go with Yankees reliever, uh, guy who's been on the team for a long time, Chad Green, one of the more reliable guys in the Yankee bullpen, or it's number 57. So that's where I'm going to go with that. But, uh, you know, just four days ago, Matt, we were live for four straight hours doing a draft show. Well, how you doing? What's it been like for you in an hour since? I mean, I'm alive. <laughs> there was a tweet by Kyle Shanahan um, last week who said he wasn't even sure who was going to be alive on Sunday. So we made it. Here, we made it, baby. We made it. Uh, no, Randy, it, it was fun, man. Um, anybody that doesn't that, that didn't get a chance to check it out, it's posted on Football Life. It's on um, Apple, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, just really, I, I want to give out a quick shout out, not only to you, Randy, for jumping on, but Henry Maldonado Jr., Vince Mercandetti, Corey Decker, um, Leon Tompkins, Jacob Anthony Moses, Lucas Albert, Corey Richmond. Um, I'm wondering if I forgot a name. I think we're all good. Uh, Jacob was a hell of a trooper from beginning mm -hmm. to end, stayed mm -hmm. on with us as I think you and I were getting ready just to pass the hell out at that point. <laughs> I promise you, I fell asleep five minutes later. Uh, I do not know how I made it <laughs> to do that whole show. But hey, credit all goes to you, Matt. You were the believer in that show and you organized the whole thing. So uh, that did not happen without your effort and your brains behind that project. So uh, credit all goes to you ultimately. Uh, and like you said, thank you to all those people who participated. And thanks for everyone who watched and commented along with us uh you could watch you could be watching espn you could be watching nfl network you could be watching that your draft coverage anywhere and some people were sitting there watching it with us so you know that's a big honor for me and you know what i, I don't take that lightly so i appreciate all that support absolutely hell of a show boys hell of a show yeah no, that's a big one for us but you know now the draft is in the books so we're going to talk a ton about the draft in this show but uh, we're going to talk about something that broke before the draft uh, that kind of shook up the whole night and the whole weekend uh, in the football world. And you look, when the NFL, reigning NFL MVP, the three-time NFL MVP and Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, says he's unhappy and he wants to be traded. I'm sorry, I don't care if the draft's happening that day. That's the biggest news story of the day. Aaron Rodgers has said he would like to be gone from the Green Bay Packers at this point, or has since said if he's not traded, he wants – uh, Packers GM, I believe it's Gutekunst, right? Uh, Close enough. Yeah, Brian Gutekunst, I believe is his name. Uh, he's been on been the GM for years. The Packers don't change a whole lot about that. Uh, that's why they're one of the more well-run organizations. They're very steady. They're very uh, continuous. Um, but Rodgers is unhappy. I think this still is stemming from the Jordan Love decision a year prior. And the difference is because Aaron Rodgers was in this similar situation you know, 15 years ago. And the biggest difference is, Aaron Rodgers fell into the Packers' laps in the 2006 NFL draft. The Packers traded up 
to draft Aaron Rodgers' successor with three years left on his contract. I understand why he could be a little upset about that. Also, with that said, um, you know, Packers were, you know, a half away from making the Super Bowl last year. Aaron Rodgers coming off one of the best years of his career. Matt, I know you're a Bears fan. You hate the Packers. You probably love to see this. What do you make of this whole situation and who really messed up here more? Well, as a Bears fan, it's fantastic. Uh, you you just love for dysfunction to happen to a team that doesn't have a lot of dysfunction in its history. So, yay, Green Bay. Thank you for giving us this. <laughs> so we have to go back and take a little history lesson here. Um, Aaron Rodgers is probably going to go down as one of the five most talented quarterbacks that ever lived. Um, he probably throws one of the prettiest balls you'll ever see. And he's super cerebral. But – it's one of those things where he's super smart and maybe it's a detriment to the green Bay Packers. It all started with the quarterback coach. Um, I can't remember what the quarterback coach name was, but the Packers fired him without even consulting Rogers. And that started ruffling some feathers. He was like, okay. And then we go a little bit further into the future with the wide receiver. I believe it was Jake Kumaro. Um, Okay. Jake Kumaro. And Aaron Rodgers was on a radio show, you know, praising the kid, saying, you know what, um, I know he's had limited action the past few years, but I really feel good about him. I think he's really going to help our offense. And then the day after, they cut him. So then we fast forward to the Jordan Love pick. And what we see here, when we talk about relationships, what's one of the biggest detriments to a relationship? Lack of communication. I, I think... Aaron feels disrespected by the Packers organization, not realizing, hey, you know what? Take a look what Tampa did. Tampa owed Tom Brady, not not even a phone call. I think Brady would have understood like, hey, you know, we're drafting a quarterback, you know, Mm -hmm. Kyle Trask, who is a major project here. But, you know, they didn't owe Brady a phone call, I think, for that. Brady knows he's 44 going on 45. Father time's ticking. The Bucs need someone. But the Bucs, Called Tom Brady and be like, hey, you know what? We're, we're taking Kyle Trask here before they even made the pick. And then Aaron's, Arians even told him, he was like, shit, I don't care if you pick three rounds three through seven for us, but, you know, let me have this one and then you can make the rest of our picks. But, you know, the communication was there. Chicago, they called Andy Dalton before the, the day of the draft and like, hey, you know, we don't know how this thing's going to shake out. Are you doing good mentally? We're just letting you know. We may take a quarterback. And then when they traded up, they knew they were going to take fields. They told, they called Andy Dalton back. Matt Nagy did. And was like, hey, Andy, you know, we love you. We still think you're our starting quarterback going into this season, but we're taking Justin Fields. And it's the communication aspect. Aaron's the type of guy where you cannot disrespect him like that. He sees all these guys having voices. Peyton Manning had so much pull with the Indianapolis Colts. It was ridiculous. You take a look at Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure he gets consulted on some decisions. We saw mm-hmm. Russell Wilson wanting out of Seattle because he was his voice wasn't being heard. I'm not sure if he felt disrespected to the, you know, to the degree that Rogers has. But Randy, I think this is where it's coming from. It's just them not consulting with really someone that should be their partner. Yeah, you mentioned the relationship and what, is, what makes for a successful relationship. Um, communication and trust are at the top of the list in any form, any relationship at any level, uh, in any aspect of life. Uh, if you do not communicate with someone, you do not trust someone, that it goes a long way. Um, the other aspect of this is that when you're in the NFL, 
it's nice. Well-run organizations communicate. They they communicate with the players, as you mentioned. You gave up, gave several examples there as to what good organizations do. But there is by no means uh, uh, there's no right to, for these players to have to know what these organizations are doing moving forward. I would advise that you do that. But I don't know if they called up Aaron Rodgers and said, "Hey, we're drafting Jordan Love," that we still wouldn't be here where we are right now. It's no secret that Aaron Rodgers is a bit of a diva. <laughs> I think he's a little complicated of a guy. And this sort of feels like a bit of a temper tantrum to me. Uh, it feels very, and I, for our Ball is Life guys, or Ball of Life members, I'm sorry, but it feels very NBA-ish to me. How many times have we seen an NBA superstar throw a fit to say, I'm leaving, I'm not coming back, uh, either trade me or I'm sitting out, or I'm just going to leave. And there, you know what? The player empowerment era in the NBA has been a thing for, I don't know, the last 15 years or so. That is, I'm all for the players having the power here. But this is a lot of things. It's not like Aaron Rodgers is stuck in a situation like Houston, like Deshaun Watson is, where the front office is incompetent. I disagree with a lot of the things the Packers front office has done, but you're still a half away from making the Super Bowl. You're a decision to kick a field goal away from potentially going to overtime in the NFC championship game against the eventual Super Bowl champions. So to me, it feels like a little bit of a, a temper tantrum. And this is not shocking for Aaron Rodgers. Like we know this is a kind of a, a weird guy, an isolated guy. This guy hates his own family for Christ's sake. He doesn't get like he, I saw, a, I don't know if it was real, but I saw something that said Aaron Rodgers is more likely to go see his family on Christmas this year than return <laughs> to play for the Packers. Now, if that's true, then the Packers are done. They are absolutely toast because it is well documented how much Aaron Rodgers disdained for his own family. Uh, Matt Bush and I, we, you know, we could talk about this all show, but you know, eventually we have to wrap the ball on it. So my question is, um, you think there has been a line crossed here by either side, and do you think eventually he will be traded? I think if it was a different quarterback, this could be salvaged. Mm-hmm. But what we know about Aaron Rodgers, I, I, I don't see a road back. I don't see a bridge being built here. I think Aaron has made a decision that he's done with Green Bay unless they fire Brian Gutenkust, or however you pronounce it. Gutenkust. Gutenkust. Um, <laughs> to me, I, it's done. You can't come back from this. And we could talk about organizations and quarterbacks and how they, how they should communicate. And you're right. The organization doesn't owe the quarterback or anybody else, you know, a, a, to consult on who we're going to draft, you know, as a heads up, maybe, you know, it's nice to give Aaron maybe a heads up. And I think Aaron's earned some of that, but at the In same theory, time, yes. <laughs> yeah. But um, at the end of the day, they're paying him a large sum of money to play a premier position. And I'm of the philosophy and I I take this approach at work. My gratitude is the paycheck that I get every time Mm -hmm. payday comes. And that's all the Packers really owe Aaron Rodgers at this point that they are paying him the paycheck. Now Rodgers has a definitive way to get out of green Bay. It seems like, and I think he's going to get out of green Bay. I, I, I just cannot see this relationship moving forward because if you fire Brian Gutenkunst, um, you signal to the organizations or to your organization that the players can run things. Yeah. I, I just and, here, and, and, and the Jordan Love aspect of this can't be overlooked because they clearly were ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers or at least had a plan to move on from Aaron Rodgers when they selected Jordan Love. 
I don't think Jordan Love is going to be a good NFL quarterback, but you could ask me in 2006 if I thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be a good NFL quarterback, and I would have had my doubts as well. So I don't know what to make of Jordan Love. We haven't seen a ton of him at all, so uh, I don't know what to make of that. I will say this. Usually when a quarterback wants out, a team wants some sort of contingency plan at that position. Houston, they have no backup plan without Deshaun Watson. Seattle, they have no backup plan without Russell Wilson. The Niners, up until the draft, didn't really have a great backup plan for Jimmy G. The, the Packers already had that plan in place, so if they move on from Aaron Rodgers, they don't need a quarterback in return. I personally think that this can be salvaged because I think Aaron Rodgers just needs to go to therapy, uh, maybe take a few um, – some, med- some medication, maybe just relax a little bit. You know, he always had that famous relax – quote i think maybe he could use that for himself a little bit but if he's serious about this and he wants to move on there are plenty of avenues to go with here um i think there are plenty of teams who are like shit aaron Rodgers, 37 years old let's tie me up and Corey richmond uh, during our draft show asked us an important question i will ask you what does a 37 year old reigning nfl mvp and aaron Rodgers net in a trade and who would be willing to give it up he's gonna get them two ones at the very least i think Um, when I think Tom Brady really shattered that ceiling and so did Drew Brees a little bit. I think we can expect, you know, six more seasons out of Aaron Rodgers where it's good quarterback play. And think about it. Six years is an eternity in the NFL at this point. Like we talk about quarterbacks playing 15, 20 years and, you know, it really doesn't process. But if you look at Tom Brady, Tom Brady was drafted in what, 1999, 2000, you know, So right now it's 2021 (laughs) and that feels like so long ago. Like I think tube TVs were still around in 2001. Cell phones looked like bricks still back then. Exactly. So (laughs) I I think you take a look at six seasons of the NFL very much. So I think you could take a look at a team and I I've heard rumors and obviously I think we all have the Broncos, um, a new team's been listed and I, I wouldn't sleep on this team, but Randy, your New York football giants, you know, they can trade two first rounders next year. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't completely deplete their future. Maybe they trade Saquon Barkley. Maybe they trade a guy like Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton, or maybe they trade James Bradbury. Um, Either way, everything's on the table at that point. If you're the giants, if you can get Aaron Rodgers, and and then you have the Oakland, or I'm sorry, the Las Vegas football Raiders, Mm -hmm. Um, Aaron Rodgers is going to net you a lot of things. And I, I think at the end of the day, what we're going to see is I think he goes to the Denver Broncos. The, the precedent is there with the Denver Broncos, obviously with what they did with Peyton Manning. Uh, they do not seem totally committed to Drew Locke. Obviously when they traded for Teddy Bridgewater, they have this odd quarterback room with those two guys right now. So uh, they could, they could totally make this big splash. Um, but one team in particular, like Dave Gettleman kind of dismissed it at first, or he's like, Oh, it's none of my business. I don't care. There are Rogers is on, on the market. What a ridiculous thing for a general manager to say to begin with, when, uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time is on the market. You're not interested because you're somehow emotionally attached to Daniel Jones. But, uh, he has since kind of taken it back a little bit saying, Hey, we, ex- you know, we explore all options, whatever. I'd be shocked if the Giants did anything like this. They are seem to be fully committed to trying to develop Daniel Jones in year three. So uh, I think this deal has to be done sooner rather than later. Look, if Daniel Jones has a disastrous 2021 and Aaron Rodgers is still on the market after the season, then then we could talk again about that. 
Um, but I think one team in particular is the landing spot for him. And you already mentioned them. And I think it's the Las Vegas Raiders. I think John Gruden is looking to make a splash. I think, you know, Derek Carr is a good quarterback, but I don't think they've ever fully been in love with him since the beginning. They make questionable decisions all the time. They have a brand new stadium that they haven't had, haven't had any fans in since it's opened. They will be looking to make a gigantic splash here. It's not that far from Los Angeles. I know th- I think Aaron Rodgers would like to be back home in California. Uh, that's where Jeopardy is filmed. Maybe you could explore that a little bit more. His fiance is an actress. I think she resides in Southern California. It just makes a ton of sense to me to, that the Raiders could be the landing spot here. And hey, you could even send Derek Carr in return if you still don't believe Jordan Love is quite ready just yet. So I have no idea what happens with Derek Carr if that happens, but I would say Oakland Raiders to me, Oakland, I'll put a quarter on the jar. The Las Vegas Raiders are the team that will land Aaron Rodgers if he is traded. Yeah, I, I think we have a lot of people, even in the chat, um, James Pinos thinks, yeah, he's been saying Broncos since day mm-hmm. one. Um, and Corey Decker even says, um, since they signed a 40-year-old noodle-armed quarterback, um, Emmanuel Davila brings up a good point. Um, Stafford got two first-round picks. Mm-hmm. Matt Stafford or thirty-three you know, though. I'll say that. Yeah, thirty-three, but nowhere near the resume of an Aaron Rodgers. Hundred percent. And to me, um, it's it's a no-brainer. Um, Larry Rodriguez is saying the Saints. That's I, a, I, that's also a good option if you ask me. But their cap situation isn't going to make it work. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no way they can make that deal um, with Taysom Hill and even Jameis Winston on the roster. It's just it's too much money. And they already had to release a lot of talent. So mm-hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, Randy, I, I think we could – I think the Raiders and the Broncos are the two obvious choices here if he gets traded. Uh, I, I'm going to label the Giants as a dark horse here, um, which is interesting because what's the one team that could benefit the most from Aaron Rodgers leaving the, the division? The Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. And what are the Packers going to get in return? the Chicago Bears first round draft pick. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. That would be quite the development if that were to take place. Yeah, but I'll go with the Broncos. You're going with the Raiders. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's always these random teams. I feel like when Peyton, this Peyton sweepstakes were there, we heard the Dolphins for a while and he ended up going to the Broncos. Um, So, you know, there's always smoke screens. Um, you know what? The Falcons might be moving on from Matt Ryan in a year, so you never know. That could be interesting. Rodgers ultimately has to approve of this. And I know the Niners made an offer on draft night that he desperately wanted the Packers to take. They said no thanks, and now here we are. The Niners probably aren't going to make that offer again because they, they seem to want uh, to keep moving forward with Trey Lance. So, and they have uh, no we'll, first-round picks. And they have no more first-round picks. That's right. Um, so, you know what? Aaron Rodgers could be a Packer. But the thing is, and I just want to wrap the ball on the conversation with this, no Packers quarterback has ever played more than 16 seasons with them from Bart Starr to Brett Favre and now Aaron Rodgers all played 16 seasons with the Packers. So maybe there was writing on the wall all this time, Matt, and we just didn't want to, we just didn't want to read it. Yeah, either way, I'm good. Just let him go. See you later, <laughs> a-, a Ron. You know, it- it's been a blast. You know, I think Aaron Rodgers was something like 21 and five against the Chicago bears. I will sense. not be sad to see him go. <laughs> We will, of course, keep you updated here on Football Life Presents the Audible uh, if anything were to happen with Aaron Rodgers, and I'm sure we'll have an emergency episode if he gets traded on an obscure day of the week. All right, we're moving on now. Let's address the elephant in the room, Matt Bushnell. You see, 
your Chicago Bears and my New York Giants made a draft day mega trade. And we predicted this, by the way, in our mock draft episode with Lucas Albert uh, on the Tuesday before the draft last week. Uh, except Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and Kevin Abrams got way more in the, tr- in the trade than I uh, got in my fictional trade uh, for, in this scenario. And they also reached at their pick at 20, if you ask me, to get in, compared to what I did, which I also didn't love my pick either. But I, I think they did uh, take, take a little bit of a reach there at 20. We'll get to the Giants in a second. But the Bears here is where I want to start, Matt Bushnell. Yeah. And I want to get the exact trade parameters. I believe it was 20. It was a 2021 fourth rounder, or was it a third rounder? It was a fifth round. No, it was a fifth rounder. Fifth rounder. And then a 2022 first rounder and a 2022 fourth fourth rounder. Yep. And the Bears jump up to 11 and draft your boy, Justin Fields, (laughs) the quarterback from Ohio State, the guy that you have all this process of us breaking down the draft have not loved really at all. So let's hear it, Matt Bushnell. You had time to compose your thoughts. Uh, the draft reaction was a peak moment for our show and a all-time moment for us. Um, but you have some time to collect your thoughts. What do you make of this move for the Bears? Well, uh, let's go with the trade first, up to 11. I, I thought, you know, at first they, they overpaid, but then you kind of start hearing the rumblings that the Vikings were talking to the Giants, mm-hmm. the Patriots were talking to the Giants, as was the Washington football team. Uh, the Vikings had no intentions of trading up to 11 to take uh, Justin Fields. It was strictly for Rashawn Slater because they knew the Chargers. He, he wasn't going to get past the Chargers. So mm-hmm. the, the Vikings created some competition there. I don't know if the Patriots thought Mac Jones would have been gone before then or if they wanted Justin Fields. So that's kind of the question mark in my mind. I have no doubt that the Washington football team would, would take Justin Fields over Mac Jones. Um, so to me with the competition at the pick number 11, the giants really got themselves a really nice return here. Um, if you're a bears fan, it's the price of doing business. So let, let's talk about the Justin Fields pick. Uh, and we talked about pre-show I, 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 everything I looked at, I just didn't feel great about it. It kind of made me like, oh, man, it wasn't good. I mean, the, the reaction was my reaction. I, I have come down off that ledge a little bit. Um, and I, I kind of have to wonder here. You hear a lot of the guys that have spent lifetimes in football know more about football than I will ever know in my life. You know, guys that I respect quite immensely saying that Justin Fields was easily the second best quarterback in this draft that he should have been the number two quarterback. Um, There's history there with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and him grew up, I believe, five miles apart, had a high school rivalry, college rivalry that it went to, and they split their series. They're they're two and two against each other all time, high school championship games and uh, collegiate games. So Justin Fields, the quarterback. I don't know if I trust my eyes now. Like, did, did I miss something? Is, am I wrong about this? And why are so many people on the Justin Fields bandwagon? I, I'm going to go with, I think these people know more about it than I do. And, and I'm going to trust them. I, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do a complete 180. I'm on the Justin Fields train. Um, just, just too many guys I respect saying that Justin Fields is going to be a really good quarterback. 
What a stunning turn of events. And those who took the under on my four-month prop on Matt Bushnell talking himself into Justin Fields. Congratulations, you win that bet. Uh, <laughs> the decision for the Bears to trade up, and, and it goes with any decision to draft a quarterback. Um, if you are all in on a guy, if you are, if you really believe this is the guy that you want, then there is no limit to where you should go to take him, uh, to what you should give up to take him. Uh, the Giants love Daniel Jones so much. They probably could have got him at 17, but they took him at six. They weren't letting getting anyone the chance to get him at six. Um, you can disagree and you can say, I don't know if this guy is the right choice, but the people in charge convinced themselves he was. And that's really how, what this comes down to with any team. Uh, the, the Rams convinced themselves that uh, Matt Stafford was the guy who was going to take them to the promised land. And they traded, you know, two first round picks to get him. Like when you want a quarterback or you think there's a quarterback out there who can make your team better and eventually help you win a Super Bowl, you got to go get them. So I commend the bears for doing that. I think they gave up a lot <laughs> to jump up nine spots to take Justin Fields. The rumor also was that the Vikings were interested in taking Justin Fields. I think that they said they would have taken him if he fell to 14, which yep. is super interesting to me. Um, but, uh, look as the, the, for the giants aspect of this, it, it is better than the alternative. <laughs> the giants historically would have just taken Kadarius Tony at 11. <laughs> and uh, I understand that I would have been so angry at this because in 2015, the guys they wanted were taken and they take Eric flowers ninth overall. Yeah. They could have traded back and got Eric flowers in the twenties, the following year, 2016, uh, <laughs> the pass rusher they wanted got taken, the guard they got wanted to take in, they end up taking Eli Apple with the 10th overall pick. They could have got Eli Apple probably in the second round, and they, for some reason, just took him there. So as a Giants fan, the the haul that they got in this trade, I, I don't know how any Giants fan could be angry about it. It is an exceptional return, a shocking return in this deal for them. To get a first-round pick in 2022 when we don't know how good the Bears are going to be, that might be a top-10 pick, Matt Bushnell. I don't know how high you are on the Bears, but it could be a top-10 pick. Like That is an insane value for this spot. So, I mean, go ahead. You're probably a little more optimistic on the Justin Fields thing, so you don't think the Bears will be as bad, right? No, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of the uncharted territory here. I, I think two things that we know coming out of this is that – the Bears will always somehow hover around 500. They, they, they never really bottom out unless it's Mark Trestman, Phil Emery-esque. But history shows us that the Bears, with this type of defense, I, I think they'll be somewhere mid-teens probably. So the Giants are probably looking anywhere between 13 and 17, I feel like, for next year when they get that Bears pick, which is not That's a bad fine. pick. Yeah, that's fine. I think that's probably where the Giants will end up with their season as well. So if you're telling me the Giants get now two top 15 picks next year, yeah. sign me up for that. Uh, I, I don't. I know Dave Gettleman will be ultimately be the guy who makes these selections, so I don't love that. But if you have two picks right there and say Daniel Jones does not take the leap that you're hoping for, you can even package those picks in a deal to move up to draft a guy that you love. Maybe it's the UNC kid. I don't know. Maybe the whole quarterback landscape will look a lot different a year from now. No one saw, uh, you know, Joe Burrow coming when he did. So anything yeah. can happen between now and then. But I love the trade for the Giants, and I love that they traded back down once but twice. Yep. And again, in the second round, um, 
and and got more value from the 2022 and their logic and for some somehow it makes sense because there wasn't a ton of tape on a lot of these guys especially the guys who opted out uh, an old school scout like dave gettleman needs tape to evaluate and whether i think he's right on a lot of these picks or not he is the kind of guy who will sit there and grind out tape like nobody's business. So with these guys opting out and they're not having actual tape on them for more than two years, he doesn't feel comfortable with that. And I understand that now with the pick, uh, this is why like people, you know, when you give draft grades, you know, like you can't give them an A and you can't tell them that they won the draft because the teams who get an A and the teams who win drafts maximize draft value at all costs. Mm-hmm. Teams that uh, do not reach, teams who do not take risks. And I think the problem with what the Giants did is they reached and took a risk all at the same time at number 20. For all the reasons I said before, the Giants, I think all things considered, had a decent draft. Because in an, in an alternative universe, at number 11, the New York Giants select Kadarius Tony wide receiver out of Florida and I'm losing my freaking mind so they traded back nine selections get a buttload of picks back and then they take the guy it's still a reach in the first round when there's a better wide receiver maybe two better wide receivers on the board for them mind you Rashad Bateman and Elijah Moore both I would say are better prospects than Kadarius Tony. but they love this guy they 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 wanted to add that weapon and there's no coincidence either to me that he has similar measurables to Odell Beckham Jr. And this is why this franchise has just been stuck in the mud and been terrible for the last seven years is that they traded a guy in Odell because he had character issues. They like how he criticized Eli Manning, but this offense has been missing exactly that for the last two years. And you signed Kenny Galladay, which I thought was enough personally with with the additions of Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley returning. I thought the offense had enough weapons where I thought the offense struggled is still the offensive line. When you lose Kevin Zeitler as your best offensive lineman and you bring back Nate Solder and tell him to switch positions, mind you, at 36 years old, uh, that's only a recipe for disaster for me. So I kind of wish they, uh, you know, prioritized the offensive line, which they didn't draft a single offensive lineman in the entire draft, which I definitely disagree with. Um, so I think the Giants did well, all things considered, with the trades. The selection is where they lose me here in the first round, especially. And I watched, I did my due diligence on Tony. I spent a lot of time watching tape on him. He's a playmaker. He's hard to bring down. He's competitive as all hell. Um, I don't think he has breakaway speed. I don't think the Odell comparison is uh, accurate because I think Odell had game-changing speed. And his route tree was one of the best in the league at his peak. Kadarius uh, has only been playing wide receiver for three years. He transitioned from running back. He ran three routes primarily, was run on a ton of jet sweeps, on a ton of screens. Um, And he's been labeled sort of a gadget player, and I don't want to do that to the kid, but... Um, you know who isn't good at utilizing players like this? <laughs> I'll give you one guess. It's the Giants <laughs> offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett. So uh, excuse me if I am just tempering my expectations for this guy just a little bit because he's probably more Sterling Shepard, a guy you already have, than he is Odell Beckham Jr. And maybe if things all go well, he is Victor Cruz uh, because Victor Cruz was a guy who had a lot of success for the Giants, obviously, and was a fan favorite for a long time. I worry about some injuries and I just don't think he's as explosive and as electric as everyone would like. He's shifty. He can move, but the gap between those three wide receivers that were taken in the first round ahead of the giants and the guy they got is massive. So um, you look at, I'm glad they didn't take him at 11. Don't get me wrong. I'm really happy with the trade, but the selection itself, I worry about for sure. Um, I would have liked them to see, uh, them shift their focus after those guys were taken, especially it, it is sort of alarming to me 
that they were so stubborn and so unwilling to move off of their desire to get a wide receiver and the one the team has other problems, but I'm not a, a decision maker here. So Matt, what do you think of the Canarius Tony decision? I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I, those are my collective thoughts overall. Good night for the giants. Still don't love the first round pick. I think we did well in the trades. I, I don't yeah. think there's any denying that, uh, but what is one of the most important traits for a wide receiver to have? Speed and route running. <laughs> catching the football. Well, yeah, that too. Uh, that's important. I would and, say that's important. <laughs> and this guy's biggest weakness is inconsistent hands. Mm. So you drafted a wide receiver that is more like a running back than he is a wide receiver. Yeah. Um, to me, this is just a god-awful pick at 20. I, I think you could have traded back even more to get more picks, accumulate more picks, and get the same guy. Look, Rashad Bateman's hands are not in question. Elijah Moore's hands are not in question here. Um, the kid out of Purdue, his hands were not in question here. Yeah. And there were other wide receivers that you could have got. Um, you know, maybe you could have tinkered up, moved up a little bit in the second round if, if that was your desire to get a wide receiver. They, this was a deep wide receiver class. You didn't have to go first round wide receiver. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it was so much of a reach and then not drafting an offensive lineman. So their idea is let's give Daniel Jones as many skill position players as possible and not protect them. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it worked for Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, it's the uh, same thing they did with Eli Manning in 2016 and 2017. <laughs> I can't believe they're repeating this mistake. It's just insanity. Yeah. I, I guess if you believe Andrew Thomas is going to turn the corner, I, I don't think so. I, I know Vince and I disagree about how he made improvements. You, you don't draft a guy at number four overall to make improvements when you had Mekhi Becton and um, Tristan Wirth. Yeah. be all pro lineman in their rookie fucking years. This is yeah. what separates him. And this is what makes him such a stupid GM. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he refused to trade back. And when he does trade back, he still makes the wrong damn pick. Yeah, You can't do this because if you miss on high first round picks, Daniel Jones, we don't know. Andrew Thomas, we don't know. You drafted a running back who is basically built for a win now team that may have had a bad year. See Ezekiel Elliott for the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, and you're in rebuilding mode. Like it's, it's all ass backwards. I, I thought Barkley was the second best player in that draft when he was drafted, but if I'm rebuilding, I'm not taking a running back because yeah. by the time he's good or by the time your team is good, you know, it, it's done with. So my feelings on the Tony pick is just absolutely awful. Um, you know, draft a kid that can catch if taking a wide receiver, but you take a look who's out there on the board. Uh, Darisaw was there. I would have loved that pick if they chose him. And it would have made so much sense at 20 yeah. Yeah. because that's about where his value was at. But and no, you could plug him in at right tackle day one. Exactly. And then you don't have to worry about Solder. Maybe you move Solder to guard. Yeah. You know, to me, this was just compounding mistakes in the draft. And when you compound mistakes in the draft, it leads you to five and six win seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's, it goes back to the same thing I made, uh, the points I made about the Bengals taking Jamar Chase. Uh, I would, I just, the way I prefer to build a roster is from in the trenches out and Panay Sewell uh, was right there for the taking. They could protect Joe Burrow for the next 10 years with that guy. 
And now Joe Burrow coming off of an ACL injury uh, still has a poor offensive line with all these shiny toys. And I just disagree with that thought process when building a roster, even going back to the Odell Beckham Jr. decision in 2014, mind you, the two players taken after Odell Beckham Jr. were Zach Martin, a damn good guard, an all pro guard for the last, since that, that day. And then arguably the third greatest defense player of all time. And Aaron Donald was taken right after Odell Beckham Jr. Looking back, uh, you know, the, I think the Giants might have might want that one back just a little bit. And I love Odell Beckham Jr., but the receivers are players that you can find later in the draft, similar to running backs. Uh, you can find a ton of value later in the draft where if you have all of those other things in place, those guys can be uh, just luxury pieces of, on top of that. So the Giants, I feel like, are trying to find their version of Tyreek Hill or something, but Tony is just isn't that. So, Yeah, and keep in mind, the, the Chiefs' offensive line at its peak when yeah. they were healthy – I mean, it was a damn good offensive line that enabled Tyreek Hill to get down on those routes. Granted, he's fast as all get out, but it still takes three to four seconds to get down there. Daniel Jones is going to have two seconds to throw this football. Maybe they go get a Charles Leno, who the Bears just cut. Maybe they go get an Eric Fisher, who's coming off Achilles surgery, which is a scary proposition. But you don't bring back Nate Solder for that. Um, To me, I think they're going to roll with what they have, and I think it's a dangerous game. Yeah, I think Andrew Thomas definitely developed, but like you said, he's the fourth overall pick. So I, I my worry isn't necessarily with Andrew Thomas; it's with the rest of the offensive line. Um, Gates is okay at center, but the two guards are question marks, and Nate Soldier at right tackle is a big time question mark for me. So we'll see how the Giants do. As far as the other picks, I love the Aziz Ojolari pick at number fifty, but uh, the reason he fell was due to a late medical observation uh, from the combine. There was some sort of heart issue, I believe. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but uh, they got a guy who had first round grades who could be the pass rusher that they that they needed so i like that ojalari pick and then your boy aaron robinson from ucf they got in the third round they traded yeah. one of those bears picks back up to get robinson and it's a similar issue with the receiver i don't think corner was necessarily a position of weakness but uh, you can't ever have too many corners so those are the three picks in particular i love for the uh, the two picks uh, the ojalari and robinson picks yep. giants did really well there the rest of the draft will a little questionable to me, but nonetheless, they nailed those two. Matt, just quickly uh, on the Bears draft, what are some other picks that you like, and then we're going to move on to the rest of the teams. I love Tevin Jenkins. To get Tevin Jenkins at 39, absolute damn steal. Huh. Uh, for a team with an offensive line, and really that's that was the Bears' biggest weakness. We could talk about quarterback play, and it wasn't great, but that offensive line was horrendous. I'm looking at you, Charles Leno, now that you're gone. <laughs> Good riddance. Um Tevin Jenkins, if you don't know, go to Kevin Fishbane on Twitter and there's an expert from his pro day where if that's not a football and that's not an offensive lineman right there, um, I don't know what is. That kid's nasty and he's mean and that's what the Bears needed. And Larry Borum in the fifth round, love him too. So the Bears got their two tackles. I I thought at really, really good value. Uh, Love the Bears draft here. Absolutely home run after home run if we just kind of I, I don't know how to view fields yet. So, but overall, I love the Bears draft. All right. So, Matt, you want to pull up that chart for us or you want me to pull it up? Doesn't matter. I can do it if you would like. Oh, I, uh, I have got it up. All Randy. right. So, now's the portion of the show for all of you fans of the teams not named the Giants or Bears to enjoy the show. Uh, we are going to share a chart with, I believe, a is comprised of 26 draft grades for each team uh, calculated into a GPA uh, ranked one from 31 to 32. And 
there's no coincidence Matt Bushnell found this chart and his Chicago Bears <laughs> are at the top of the list. Um, so the a lot of draft cards really liked him. My, my screen is black here, Matt Bushnell. Um, I guess it's still yeah. loading, but um, we're gonna we're gonna start with the quarterbacks uh, that were selected in the first round and kind of go on those go go through those teams and then move our way down. Um, on the, the first quarterback taken is on the Jacksonville Jaguars who find themselves tied for eighth on this list uh, of, of draft grades. And I want this, this to pop up for the audience because uh, I want them to see just how colorful yep. it is. There it is. There we go. Uh, so as you can see, the Jacksonville Jaguars coming in at eighth on their cumulative GPA of, let's see if I can find the right number here. I believe it's 339 or 332. Anyway, yeah, the, uh, the Jags are at three three two. There, Randy, at number tied for eighth overall. Tied for eighth overall at three three two. Number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, and then they come back in the first round and draft his teammate, running back Travis Etienne, uh, at twenty five, I believe. I don't necessarily agree with the running back in the first round pick, but nonetheless, uh, you get Trevor Lawrence. I would say he did pretty well in the draft. Yeah, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is just the huge pick here. Um, obviously, you get a generational quarterback who ha has all the traits that you want. I, I think what hurts them is Travis Etienne um, drafting a running back in the first round when you had other needs. I mean, they could have went offensive lineman here, um, maybe another wide receiver to go with that offense or, you know, improve a very porous defense because there was still a lot of guys out there. JOK, who... You know, we'll talk about Cleveland here, too, who had a phenomenal draft. But there were guys out there that, you know, made you scratch your head. Why are you taking, you know, Travis Etienne at 25, I believe. It was just a puzzling pick. I understand, like, you're, you're picking his teammate, making him happy, whatever. That's fine. But you have other needs, for sure. And I liked what they did. Well, I thought that Tyson Campbell is a corner from Georgia. Yep. They picked him at 33 overall. I like that decision. And Walker Little was a guy I mocked in the first round as sort of a, a reach pick uh, with our, our, our live mock draft. But they get him uh, pick 45 in the second round too. So overall, minus the ETN pick, I do think the Jags did pretty well here. Um, and like I said, when you get Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> your team is going to be exceptionally better, uh, exceptionally improved in 2021. So, uh, I don't think we need to say a ton about the Jaguars in this, this scenario. So let's move on to the team with the second overall pick, uh, who also drafted a quarterback in the first round. Uh, and that is the New York Jets who take BYU quarterback, Zach Wilson. Uh, and they come in, Matt, let me just pull up. I, I don't have the whole thing sitting here, but the Jets are fifth overall here. Uh, on this GPA chart with a 3.6. The experts really love what the Jets did because they not only get Zach Wilson, number two overall, they trade up to 14 with the Minnesota Vikings and take the guard, Elijah Barrett Tucker. So they pair him with Mekhi Becton, and suddenly they're supporting Zach Wilson in a way they never supported Sam Darnold. And what a concept. Yeah, and really sneaky pick was Michael Carter, too. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love Michael Carter out of North Carolina, and they got him at a pretty decent value. And then if one Michael Carter wasn't enough, they drafted another Michael Carter, <laughs> so, uh, the cornerback. So I, I thought the Jets did really well for themselves in this draft. You know, getting Elijah Vera Tucker and being able to put him at guard, I think really solidifies that team's offensive line and helps them out tremendously. And then also, I think establishing a running game, 
Now, I, I still would like the team to I, – I think next year, if, you, if you're looking at them next year, they have to get a wide receiver, Randy, because it is not um, – I like Corey Davis. They got some other pieces there, but I think this team needs a bona fide number one. Well, Matt, the funny thing is you didn't even mention the receiver that they picked, which I really like, and we mentioned him earlier. Um, but the Jets took Elijah Moore in the second round, number 34 overall, who super underrated to me. Love him at Ole Miss. Uh, played on a bad team, so didn't get a ton of love. But you pair him on the team with Michael Carter, and all of a sudden, I think with Corey Davis, I think your offense is already so much more improved. And, and as far as fantasy is concerned, I was going to throw this out. There's a little early, early May fantasy nugget for you guys. This is what you get on the football life presents the audible. Michael Carter is going to get a ton of burn here for the Jets pretty early on. And he's super fast. He's a speedster and he's the opposite of Frank Gore. So you're going to love him <laughs> and you're going to run uh, off tackle to the left off Becton and he's going to have great days. So I love me some Michael Carter later in the in, in drafts and fantasy. Uh, and overall, I know what the, the whole Jets first round here, you know, the Jets draft in general, I should say, comes down to Zach Wilson, uh, whether he pans out or not, because I can say I love the ABT decision. Some people are, are criticizing the decision to trade up to draft a guard, but hey, you, you need to help solidify your offensive line, whatever. I don't care. Um I love the value they got with Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, especially like those two guys were like potential fringe first round picks who aren't going to help an offense as, as bad as the Jets offense was like, these guys are going to come in right away and make an impact. So I love those two decisions for the Jets. Um, but ultimately it comes down to Zach Wilson. And I've read a bunch about Zach Wilson in the day since I've, I've listened to several interviews with the BYU head coach. He has an obsession with watching tape. He, he came up with uh plays that he watched at the pro level for BYU. Like he said that he studied so much chiefs tape and went to the coaches and said, Hey, I think we should run these plays. And they started calling them plays based on like chiefs players like that to me. I, I, if you're a football junkie and you love watching tape, you're already a guy I'm a fan of because you have to, this is your whole life now. Like you have to love watching tape and not even just watching it, processing it and improving from it. So I like that a lot about Zach Wilson already. All right, Matt Bushnell, let's move on from the Jets. Uh, the third pick in the draft was also a quarterback, and we weren't sure who it was going to be, but the San Francisco 49ers made that decision in quarterback North Dakota, from North Dakota State, Trey Lance. Uh, they, you know, rumors surrounding saying that maybe it was Mac Jones, maybe it was Justin Fields, but they decided to go with Trey Lance. And you know what? I thought a lot about it. Uh, I think he adds a lot more than any of those other guys do. And I think he offers more than Jimmy G ultimately did. And with Kyle Shanahan, I think it's going to be ultimately a perfect situation for him because he's going to hand the ball off a ton. He's going to use his legs and guys are going to be running open all over the place for him, making his life a lot easier. So Matt Bushnell, Trey Lance to the 49ers. Yeah, I think for me, I worry about that pick a lot just for the fact that he's played 17 career games. And the one correlation we see that translates to the NFL is the more college games that you've played, the more successful you're likely to be. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky started 13 games and, you know, that didn't really work out really well for the bears. So I, I think Trey Lance is going to need some more experience. Uh, the, the draft overall for the 49ers, I, I felt like it was ordinary. Nothing really stood out to me throughout the draft. Um, I know some 49er fans are really happy but I feel like middle of the pack, you know, uh -huh. the 15 to 17 range makes a lot of sense for this team. Yep. On your GPA chart, they come in at 17th. 
uh, with a 3.04, which... Yeah, well, it, it's know. not my GPA chart. I have to give credit to Renee Bugner from Germany okay. who created oh, this. Not yours, but the one you introduced to me. I apologize. Uh, yes, but that 17th and 3.04, I don't know. I'll just tell you, my my family would have thrown a party for me if I ever had a 3.04. So <laughs> all things considered, <laughs> I think they did pretty well. Um, they they traded up, I believe, to, from with the Raiders to select guard Aaron Banks from Notre Dame. Um, to help with that offensive line. You know what? I think they already had a pretty good offensive line, but yeah. you, it's similar. But to, to corners and other positions, you can't ever have too many of them. You need depth. And I think a lot of teams don't realize if one guy gets hurt, it can, it can wreck your whole season. So uh, good for them on that. And then the third round pick, we talked about in the running back segment of the preview of the draft for us, the uh, Trey Sermon running back from Ohio state, underrated guy, big guy. I, I mean, third round, this is where you should be taking running backs who can make an impact for your team is the, around this range. Yeah. I, I'm just a little inquisitive about it for a team that just seems to produce running backs. Like it's nobody's business. Mm -hmm. And with the offensive line they have, uh, I'm not taking anything away from Trey Sermon. I think he has a potential to be very good, but with Raheem Morstead mm -hmm. and, um, you know, God, I forget the other, Jeff Wilson, the third, I'm not sure if yeah. he's still on that team. And yeah. I, I know there's another running back that I'm forgetting off the top of my well, head. They lost Tevin Coleman and I'm pretty sure they kicked, they, they, they yeah. let Jarek McKinnon go too. So yeah, McKinnon's gone. So um, I, I guess, but you don't draft your third overall running back. Maybe he replaced, I can't see him being higher than Mostert on the on the depth chart. Most, yeah, yeah. Mostert's too much of a game changer. So a little bit of a curious pick there with Trey Sermon in the third round. I think Trey Sermon's definitely third ground worthy, but I think that definitely brings them down a little bit because maybe you could have addressed a different need. I think they need help in the secondary. I'm not sold on their defensive line either. Yeah, they got Bosa, you know. Um Armstead. I, I, I'm not a big Armstead fan. So to, to me, I, I think you could have went a different route there and, uh, and really upgrade your defensive line more so than what it is. Well, they're a run first team. So they, you know, they, it's not just, it's, it's not just Mostert, you know, they, they kind of define the running back by committee uh, approach and it's Mostert and it is Jeff Wilson. And now it's going to be Sermon, but this team has also spent a ton of money on guys like Tevin Coleman and Jeremy McKinnon. So, yeah. you know, they don't always maximize their running back value, but when they do, those guys are typically pretty successful. So uh, it is still a top hundred pick on a running back. And you know me, I would still probably even <laughs> wait a little bit longer to take a running back. <laughs> I'm kidding. I like Trey Sermon. I think I like him in that spot. All right, Matt, uh, let's move on to the fourth quarterback taken. And we already talked about your bears and, and the Justin Fields thing, but they come in at number one on this draft uh, chart with a GPA of 3.87, the valedictorian of the 2021 NFL draft. <laughs> Congratulations, Matt Bushnell. You should be proud. Yeah. This is uncharted territory as a bears fan. <laughs> uh, them being number one. Uh, we talk about the Trubisky pick being awful. Um, in the past, it's just past drafts. The Bears, you know, it's really wrecked them. And granted, it's just a lot of people, experts, you know. Um, but you see PFF, which is the one that stands out, that stands out to me the most because those guys do the in-season grades position-wise. Mm -hmm. And Grant, they don't know everything, but they're pretty good when it comes to evaluating talent, I feel like. And they have the Bears at an A+. So that really moves the needle for me. I, I think moving up to 11 for the bears made a lot more sense because if fields goes where his values at, let's say he goes three or four and the bears have to move up that 
that high. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. three first round picks, multiple second round picks, and it's a bigger trade. I, I think they are the team that had the most fortune in this draft by not, well, I'll say the second team, the second most fortunate team in this draft because the, the other one's right underneath them. But to have Tevin Jenkins fall to the second round and then to get Larry Borum in the fifth round, two tackles that have the potential to be really, really good in this league. And then you get my favorite late round wide receiver. And I know we didn't talk about it much, but Daz Newsome out of uh-huh. UNC. Great name. It, great name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love his route, run, route, route running ability. He's so smooth in and out of cuts. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the most physical guy, but what he's going to do is he's going to be where he needs to be on time. And that's so important for a quarterback. He may not get a lot of playing time this year, but you know, going into 2022, I think they really helped themselves here. Yeah. I think we need to keep talking about the bears. I think we've touched on them a ton, but congratulations to you on your number one overall GPA. You should be extremely proud. All right. Moving on to the fifth quarterback taken to the first round. In, an, in all of his childbearing hips glory, it was, <laughs> it, it was Mac Jones, uh, number 15th to the New England Patriots. And I'll say this about the Patriots. Team clearly wanted a quarterback, and they were able to somehow just stay put, and one fell into their lap. And, you know, that is how you manipulate the draft is just kind of letting it come to you. So they come in at number six on this cumulative GPA chart at a 3.44. So um, I love the fit of Mac Jones with New England. I know you don't love Mac Jones in general, Matt Bushnell, uh, but New England, uh, maybe they have a thing for these generic uh, white guy quarterbacks. I, to, to me, this is this is a lose-lose situation, you know, when you evaluate a Patriots <laughs> draft class when it comes to quarterbacks. I mean, they've drafted Matt Castle, who got them a first-round pick, and he played really well in their system. He goes to, I believe, Kansas City and absolutely sucks. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. To me, this feels dirty. I don't want to touch this because it's like McCorkle Jones – <laughs> um, you know, 17 starts. Everything tells you that this guy is not an NFL quarterback. He had two top 10 receivers that were drafted, you know, two guys that went in the top 10 that he was throwing the football to. I believe he had four offensive linemen drafted. Um, you know, everything says he had a first round running back drafted. Mm-hmm. This guy had everything around him to be successful. And he has a weird ass walk. I, I, I his childbearing hips and everything. I, I don't know about this guy at all. I don't like it. I think he's not a first round quarterback. But watch, he's going to win a Super Bowl with the Patriots, and I'm going to have to eat crow. I I don't want to touch this. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I I think when you look at Mac Jones, he has those professional traits. We talked out of the ton during the draft. His his eyes, his going through the progressions, his feet in the pocket, uh, his pre snap, uh, all are things that translate well to the NFL. Uh, somehow he's going to a situation in the NFL where his options offensively are worse <laughs> than what they were in college. Uh, I think he has a worse offensive line. I think he has worse receivers, worse running back. It's just crazy. Um, but. 
he's coming into a situation where the coach, the level of coach stays the same. And that's so important here where you go from Nick Saban to Bill Belichick, this guy is going to be the smartest football player of all time. Like he's going to have the greatest possible coaches you could possibly, you could, you could have. Um, but it doesn't end there for the Alabama players on the Patriots. They took Christian Barmore in the second round, number 38 overall. Somehow he fell out of the first round. And then the Patriots traded up to get him. Uh, this is insane value for Marmore. And it is a not ideal situation for anyone who hates the Patriots that they got this guy. Cause you know, he's just going to be damn good on them. Uh, they get Ronnie Perkins, the defensive end from Oklahoma, 96th overall. Uh, and overall the Patriots, I think did damn well, especially with those first three picks. Yeah. You can't really knock them. I mean, Christian Barmore going falling to the second round, like Jesus Christ, you know, the Patriots just have guys fall in their lap. And I'll say this, the bills, the dolphins, the jets, I don't know how this Patriots team doesn't come back and win this division because that defense is going to be loaded. I believe they have four starters coming back from the COVID opt out. They get Barmore, and they weren't terrible defensively last year. So we may be looking at the best defense in the NFL last uh, this coming season. And keep in mind, before Tom Brady was this great world-beating quarterback, he was just some schmuck that was carried to championships by a really, really, really good defense. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say the Patriots aren't – I won't say that they're back, but they're, they're pushing to be back. Uh, in 2021. Okay, so that's the first five QBs. And those are the, all the first round quarterbacks taken in this draft, all in the top 15. So Matt Bushnell, we can go a number of different directions here. We can go in order on the great draft grade list. Uh, we can continue with other quarterbacks who were drafted here. What direction would you like to go? Let's let's go with the chart because I, I really do want to talk up some Cleveland Browns here. Oh, you know I love me some Cleveland Browns. <laughs> All right, let's go there then. Our friend Corey Rochman is very happy with what the Browns did because on draft night with the 26th overall pick, the, the Browns, he wanted the Browns to take Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the linebacker <laughs> from Notre Dame. And then when they take Greg Newsom, the corner from TCU, he's like, all right, um, I would have liked to go linebacker there, but that's fine. But then the Browns on day two, uh, in the second round, number 52 overall, land Jeremiah Mosu Koromoa anyway. So the Cleveland Browns made out like bandits here, especially uh, establishing their defense in a way that I think Browns fans have been looking for for years. I think their offense is damn good already. I think their offensive line's good. They they really play uh, a style of football that really only like I would say the Ravens have uh, have and maybe the Niners have played successfully recently. They're a run first team with a good offensive, good receivers all over the place. The quarterback who, you know, is inconsistent, but ultimately when all things are right, he is also pretty good at the same time. This makes their defense to me a top 10 defense. And I, I think that's what they're looking for here. And the Browns might even now be favorites to win the AFC North. They come in second on your GPA chip, chip, uh, chart, Matt Bush, I keep saying your chart, but on the GPA chart, Matt Bush, at with a 3.85, it's safe to say everyone loved what Cleveland did this year. Yeah, I love Newsom. I really think he is an outstanding cornerback. And in our mock draft, I had the Browns taking a cornerback, Asante Samuel Jr., mm-hmm. But I, I figured they could always use another cornerback. Um, Newsom's good. I mean, technique-wise, he is fantastic. If he would have been healthy, he may have been the first corner off the board. I, I think he has better potential than J.C. Horn. I, I love Patrick Sertain II. I, I think Patrick Sertain II is going to be 
I, I had him in my top five players of the entire draft. So my feelings for him are well known and the Broncos getting him at nine is just kind of, it's puzzling, but good for the Broncos. I, I didn't think they'd take a corner, but Lucas said they would take a corner and they did. And congratulations to Lucas for absolutely nailing that one. But mm-hmm. Greg Newsom, this late in the draft, home run, love the kid. Technique wise, he's the most technique sound cornerback in this draft. Fluid hips. The only knock on him that I really found was just his injury history. He just, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to stay healthy. That, that's going to be the key here. And then again, JOK in the second round. What the hell? <laughs> um, you know, we talked about, it. I, I, I alluded to it, you know, in the draft. And in order to win these things, to, you know, get these high marks, somewhat, you know, you have to be somewhat fortunate. And to get JOK to fall to you in the second round, my God. Um, just really, really, really good. Strong first two picks. That they get that middle linebacker or that outside linebacker that they need. I think he's versatile to play enough. He's a little. I'll say this: he weighs in at 229 pounds, so he's a little bit on the lighter side. But in today's NFL, you see a lot of these middle linebackers, not of the 250 variety anymore, Randy. Mm-hmm. I think the reason for that is you have to cover tight ends and you have to be mobile enough to go from sideline to sideline. So I think that might've been a concern with JOK, but either way, the fact that he fell that far is an amazing feat. And we could talk about the rest of the other, you know, Cleveland Brown selections. I think they did really well for themselves here, but those first two just stand out just two amazingly awesome picks in my estimation here. Yeah, Newsom of Northwestern, uh, correction on that. I said TCU. Sorry, they wear the same colors, my mistake. Uh, but Newsom, 100%. Um, a lot of mocks had Newsom going to the Browns. They thought it was a good scheme fit for them. Their secondary was uh, sort of an issue for them last year. I don't think that's even the, uh, a, like a controversial opinion. I think most Browns fans will understand, like, in the back end, you can never have enough corners. We, 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 we pound that point every single time here. So now you add Newsom to that, that, that secondary, and as Richmond says in the comments, that if you know, Greedy Williams doesn't play well. He should be a backup. Well, you could put Williams in a, at, at nickel now. And you know what? And now you can even make him who could be a average, below average corner with a lesser role, but still have a, a playing time ultimately. A guy who has already experience in the league. So uh, the Jeremiah Osakormora pick, you, you guys know me in the last two weeks. I've been pounding the drum for this guy. I love his tape. He just pops off every Notre Dame game. He's in the backfield making plays. He's in coverage, covering a tight end. He just is all over the field and the size I understand I think he's a little bit undersized for a linebacker but like you said you know what you need guys who are athletes you need guys who can cover and his tackling isn't as much of an issue for me as it is for some um I think there was a late medical on him that someone found which made him uh, might have caused him to fall but nonetheless the Browns get him they trade up to 52 mind you um, they use the pick that they got from the Bears uh or they got uh, it was Carolina I don't know some pick with Carolina or Chicago um it was Carolina Carolina at 52 to go up and get him. So those two picks alone are home runs for the Browns and they take Auburn wide receiver, Anthony Schwartz at number, at number 91 overall round three. So I don't know much about Schwartz, but he played Auburn in the SEC and going against a ton of NFL talent already. Um, I'm sure he has high upside and he doesn't have to play right away for them. He doesn't have to be an impact guy right away for them since they already have a bunch of studs on wide receiver already. So uh, you can't, if you're a Browns fan, you have to really like what they did in this draft and, um, I know Corey Richmond is pleased. So I would say now, as of May 4th, 2021, the Cleveland Browns are going to be my pick to win the AFC North. Yeah, that's fair. They are so good and they are stacked. 
really what what it's it's time for Baker Mayfield. He, he's got to put up this year. They picked up his fifth year option, mm-hmm. so they believe in yeah. him. Now it's time to reward their faith, Baker. Absolutely. Uh, now we're going to go to the team coming in at third on the draft chart. And it's one of the teams I think won the, won the draft, if you ask me, because they had two huge holes on their team and they addressed both of them by not having to move. And these two guys just fell into their laps. And I think that's one way to truly have success in, in this league is by maximizing draft value and filling positions of need. Uh, and it's the Los Angeles Chargers. And you get you knock the Justin Herbert pick out of the park. He becomes a guy that nobody saw this good of a player coming, but nonetheless, he's as good as he is. And he comes in at third on these draft grades with a 3.72 cumulative GPA. And part of that is part of that is because they land Rayshon Slater at 13th overall. Somehow he fell to them the tackle from Northwestern and then they needed another corner on their secondary and they get one of our favorite players in the draft, Asante Samuel jr. So much like the Browns, the first two picks for the chargers, absolute home runs. Yeah. It's no secret how I feel about Slater. Um, I, I love the kid. I think he's a, a left tackle of the future. His technique is so good. Um, he was the second tackle uh, in my estimation, rightfully so off the board as well behind Sewell. Um, I think out of the gate, you're going to see Slater better than Sewell, but Sewell's, you know, his potential is just so high that there's no way he's not going to realize that potential and probably end up with a gold jacket before it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. But so Slater's technique is really good. He, you know, he's got a little bit of a nasty streak to him, but really projects as your prototypical left tackle. I know people are going to say his arm length is a little bit of an issue. I don't buy it. I, I think technique helps out a lot. And to get Slater at 13, which honestly, that's where I kind of thought if no one was going to trade up to 11th with the Giants to get him, that's where he was going to go ultimately. So I, I, good fit, man. We talk about Tua not getting the production. And I know we're going to hit on the Dolphins here, but the fact that Sewell didn't go to the Bengals and he didn't go to the Dolphins, he went to the Lions. The, the fact disparity between it is like not protecting your young quarterback and the chargers just making the obvious pick like, Hey, you know what? We got to keep Herbert upright. It doesn't matter who's on the outside. If we don't have someone that could protect them, it doesn't matter. So that pick alone, you know, that, that vaulted the chargers into my top five. I thought it was a great pick. And, you know, Asante Samuel jr. I love the kid. I right away, nickel, he's going to make a difference. He knows how to find the football. And that makes a difference. I, I don't think you could discount players that have a nose for the football. They can find the football. That's uh-huh. important. Absolutely. And you talk about Slater, the Slater value pick here at 13, like you're talking about a franchise left tackle for the next decade, if not more to pair with your already having a franchise quarterback. I mean, this is such insane value for this guy. It reminds me of the Laramie Tunsil pick, which Tunsil had other issues, which he was projected to be the number one overall pick in that draft. He got a video with a gas mask, smoking a bong, and then he fell to 12 or 13. I know, I know Sewell is better, but Slater has a ceiling similar to Sewell's here. So this is an absolute home run pick for the Chargers. A little, like you said, the Samuel 
Kendall Pickey is just a playmaker on defense. If you've ever seen one in the secondary undersized for sure, but the guy just finds the football and is a playmaker. And in the third round, number 77 overall, Josh Palmer, the wide receiver, Tennessee, the guy, uh, Canadian born, still kind of raw, but ultimately, I, I think that he is a project that could pan out in the long term. A guy who was getting a ton of pre draft buzz as a mid round selection who could have a ton of success. So the, the Chargers really, I think, did a nice job here. And that's why they find themselves third overall on this draft chart. Um, okay, I, I mean, if you're a Chargers fan, which, you know, maybe one of 10 of them total, but you got to be thrilled <laughs> to, to be, to be going to a game here at that wonderful stadium with this, this team. Cause I, I think they, I don't know if they're, you know, they're not going to beat the chiefs, but I think they're going to give them a run for their money and be a playoff team in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I, this is the second best team in that com, or in that division right now. Yeah. So it, it, they're good, but they're, you know, Chiefs are just in a different class. For sure. All right. So let's go. We're going to talk. Well, I don't think we need to break down each and every team here, Matt Bushnell, but let's do at least, let's do the top 10. No. I would say that's, that's fine. Uh, we already talked about a few of them, so we don't need to go all through all of them. So moving on to number four is the Miami Dolphins, which might be the first one I actually disagree with, but they come in at a four and they yeah. have a 3.62 cumulative draft grade. Um, they select Jalen Waddle, sixth overall, uh, the Alabama wide receiver who was getting all kinds of love before the draft. He is, he is an absolute stud of a playmaker. I have no doubt about that. Um, and they had a second first round pick, which I'm going to look up right now because I don't remember who it was. Uh, no, it was Jalen Phillips, the pass rusher from Miami. And you and I talked about the concerns for Jalen Phillips. He, you know, enlisted in UCLA, uh, retired, uh, had concussion issues, and a ton of injury history, and they took him uh, at number 18th overall, which is a little questionable to me. Uh, this feels high for me for the Dolphins, Matt Bushnell, just based on those first two picks. And then they traded up into the second round again after taking safety Javon Hollins uh, out of Oregon, number 36. They trade up with the Giants to get to 42 overall to select Liam Eichenberg, the tackle from Notre Dame. So I don't know if Eichenberg would have fallen to 50, but I don't know anyone who really was in love with him as a prospect. But nonetheless, the Dolphins nag their guy. And then Hunter Long, the tight end from Boston College, I actually thought was interesting. But the Dolphins being this high, Matt, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. Yeah, I don't agree with it because I still think with Sewell on the board and you take Jalen Waddell, I, and it just goes back to what's more important for your quarterback mm-hmm. to protect him or to you know get a weapon for him. Um, Sewell was a Hall of Fame left tackle. I, I just, how I see it. And Jalen Waddle seems like a very good wide receiver, but he's not a Julio Jones, a Calvin Johnson, um, you know, even a Calvin Ridley. I feel like, you know, Calvin Ridley was a guy that I thought very highly of going into that draft. I'm surprised he fell so far to the Falcons in that draft. So to, to me, I, I don't love the Waddle pick. I, I guess it makes sense, but Sewell would have been a much better pick here. I like Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. Um, definitely a second round offensive lineman. I, I I feel like you got two players with a ceiling that could be good, but you missed out. You sacrificed that for a player, you know, you missed out on a player that could be Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah. And I, I just think you always go the Hall of Fame route. And we talked about risk 
a ton. Uh, and that's why I can't give the Giants a gane or say they won the draft or anything. Because when you when you take risks, there are so much that can go wrong uh, with with that. And I think, you know, Jalen Waddell, as much as he is a can't miss wide receiver prospect, he has injury history that we can't ignore. Uh, when you have a, like you said, a Hall of Fame level prospect in Panay Sewell and you already have a left tackle, you already have your quarterback in place, it is just it is critical to protect the quarterback. It just cannot be overstated. Uh, I do like the way Waddle fits in with their offense, with Devontae Parker, um, with Fuller that they added from Houston. Like, I do think they have an interesting wide receiver core with Mike Kosicki. So I like that, but I just think they didn't maximize the value in that spot. We talked about maximizing value. The biggest risk, I think, in the entire first round, maybe the entire draft was this Phillips pick. This guy could flame out of the league in two years, and I would not be shocked. Like, he has serious, serious concussion problems and serious injury history. So uh, the ceiling, yeah, it could be high, but I don't know if it's, like, top 10 pass rusher high. The floor is just so low. Like, it is is such a risk to pick Phillips in that spot. So I just – I really disagree with the Dolphins' approach here uh, (laughs) and where they land on these these draft grades. So uh, there it is. I I mean – it was only a matter of time before we agreed with disagreed with one of these, and I think the Dolphins are the biggest one for me uh, at four. Yeah. All right, Matt Bush, we talked about the Jets, we talked about the Patriots. I already spoke a ton about the Giants. They come in at seven on this list. That's a decent spot for them, but I would have put in one of these teams especially, and the team coming in, coming in also tied for eighth with the Jacksonville Jaguars ahead of the Giants because of the maximizing draft value thing we already talked about here. And the Minnesota Vikings coming in at 3-3-2, uh, at eighth, like I said, tied with the Jags. And the Vikings did such a smart thing because they were sitting there at 14. They had a few options there. They're like, all right, well, Fields falls. We're going to take Fields. All right, cool. Well, guess what? The Bears tra- 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 uh, traded up and drafted Fields. Now, like, all right, well, we could take Elijah Barrett Tucker, who fits our offense well, but you know what? He's a guard. We want more of a tackle. And they just read the room really well. And we're able to trade back, acquire two more third round picks from the Jets. And then they draft Christian Derisaw, number 23 overall, in a position of need and a good player. I mean, the Vikings being in at eight is almost a travesty. Like, I would almost swap them and the Dolphins at this point and put them at four. Yeah, I thought the Vikings had a really good draft when you take a look at the overall totality of it. To be able to trade back and get Derisaw as light as they did was a great pick. And then I think the Vikings had four third round picks. And they, they really reconstructed that defense in a way. I guess my only issue with this is I, this was the fewest players in the NFL draft since the expansion. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't a huge player pool to really choose from. So you may have more elite talent next year than you do this year um, at, at some of those other positions. Just a lot of kids decided to stay in school. And then we're going to get more kids as, you know, they break out this coming college football season. So to me, though, it's definitely worthy of them to probably move up to, you know, seventh. The Giants, I thought, made up ground with their later round picks, with their second, third, fourth. I thought they had a really solid draft after Tooney, but, um, or Tony, however you pronounce the kid's name. But the Vikings to be able to get Darisaw. And then, you know, I think they drafted two or three cornerbacks in this draft, really attacked that defense, which was impressive. So the Vikings definitely earned high marks for me. Yeah. they follow up the Darisaw pick with Kellen Mond, uh, third round, uh, 66 overall, the, the Texas A&M quarterback, 
who we talked about. And hey, I actually kind of like this pick for them. He's going to back up Kirk Cousins. Very different from Kirk Cousins, which I think is pretty important. Um, and before I, I toss to you about the Mond, uh, Chaz Surratt, the linebacker of North, from North Carolina, 78th overall in the third yeah. round, got a ton of buzz before the draft. Uh, I think he's a solid linebacker. He's going to play a lot for them. And then Wyatt Davis, the guard from Ohio State. Um, they A lot of people say they breach for him, but um, when your offensive line is as poor as he was, I actually kind of like the decision. I mean, it's a third round guard. It's typically where these guys go. Um, and if you really like the guy, I don't mind the pick in that spot. So, I mean, they had four third round picks and three fourth round picks. And I like the value they got at a ton of different spots here. Um, but overall, Kellen Mond, Matt Bushnell, give me your thoughts on him going to the Vikings. I, to, to me, I, I don't like Kellen Mond as a quarterback. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I saw stuff with him. If I didn't like Jones, if I didn't like, you know, Fields at that time, you know, I, like I said, I turned the page on Fields. I, I, kind of, I like Fields more than I have. And Trey Lance, I was iffy on. And, you know, I wasn't completely sold on Zach Wilson, although I thought he was the second best quarterback in this draft. What, where does that put Kellen Mond in the grand scheme of things? Um, he gets a lot of comparisons to Kaepernick, mm-hmm. but I, I, I just never saw the game speed. He looks slow on film. He looks late with his throws. The arm strength doesn't look great to me. Um, th- definitely a guy that's going to have to sit for three or four years, I think, to really see the value in him. So I'm interested to see how it plays out, but I'm not a huge fan of the Mon pick. I guess at the third round, it makes sense at 66, yeah. with Trask going off the board at 64. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I don't know how much I love it. I just, I just think he's going to sit behind Cousins for a year or two. So, I mean, he's not going not gonna to be a guy that you see. Uh, and he could be a guy who is a, one of those good backups because he can move with his feet. And if he gets pressure, he can run and he can extend plays. Uh, maybe he's not a franchise guy, but he could have a nice career as a backup here. Uh, so let's round up the top 10 here, Matt Bushnell. And it's another team in your division, which I think should be higher because I love what they did. And Dan Campbell really establishing an identity for the Detroit Lions. And no more of this flashy receiver <laughs> running back nonsense. The Detroit Lions select offensive tackle, defensive tackle, defensive tackle, corner, one ride receiver in the fourth round, and then linebacker and running back. The Lions are not messing around here. I love the Panay pick at seven. Such a smart, simple decision. Whether Jared Goff is your quarterback for the next 10 years or not, he's going to be the guy anchoring that offensive line. Absolutely love that decision. And then Levi Onwerzariki, I don't know how to say his last name. I apologize. But defensive tackle of Washington is going to clog up the middle for them, sort of play that Damon Harrison snacks role for them. Uh and then the receiver, I, I know I, I just briefly mentioned him, but the Amon Ross and Brown from USC, you're a USC guy, Matt Bushnell. USC was a wide receiver factory for a long time. I like the value they got here for him in the fourth round. I might even put the Lions ahead of the Giants here because I just love the way that they are establishing an identity and just saying, you know what, Dan Campbell came in, so we're going to bite kneecaps off and we're going to start drafting <laughs> that way as well. Yeah, I mean, Motor City, Dan Campbell, baby. <laughs> Woo! How could you not get fired up for that guy? Yep. Uh, awesome draft by the Lions. And this is one I was excited to talk about. They are one of my winners here, man. One of my top three classes. Mm-hmm. I love Panay Sewell at seven. And sometimes you got to be the benefactor of other teams making mistakes. Absolutely. Damn it. They, they hit home run after home run. I love the Brown pick out of USC. I think that kid has got some talent. I, I, I don't think he's a number one, but he could turn into a very solid number two. And you pair that 
with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson in the slot, and you got him out as your two, it makes a lot of sense. You got a different be... team, my friend. You're talking about the Vikings. What oh, the I'm sorry. Doing? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> what? I have gone off the rails. I'm sorry. I want to. I want Justin Jefferson off the Vikings, but no. Um, I got excited when I saw Justin Jefferson's name. You did get excited. But, was, the Vikings got a stacked receiving core all of a sudden. When did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> hey, the, the Vikings do have a stacked receiving core. But no, I'm sorry. Let me get back on track here because I'm Justin <laughs> Jefferson to the Packers story broke about that's the downfall of the Rodgers thing there. But anyway, um, Brown with the Lions. Okay, I have to reset my calibrations here. Good wide receiver. They still need more at the wide receiver spot. Need a true number one. Um, I like Hockerson as their tight end. Very good. DeAndre Swift at the running back position has to learn how to catch the football. That's going to be important, but this team's going to be able to run the football with Sewell and then being able to build that defensive line back up should be a really improved football team. They made all the picks that made sense. I thought, so I would actually move them up to four where the dolphins are at, because Uh kind of like what we said, where we disagreed with the dolphins, it seems like the lions made all the right picks at the spots they should have. Whereas the Dolphins just made some puzzling picks here. Yeah, congratulations to Leon Tompkins. I don't know if you're going to have a top 10 offense by any means, but you're going to have a tough football team. That's the kind of culture Dan Campbell is trying to establish. Um, I'll just say as a, as a nice little note here, I mean, you got a lot of teams with uh, drafts, whatever. Houston Texans, the gift that keeps on giving to the football world, they come in at 32nd overall. <laughs> they did not have a first-round pick, and they get a GPA, a cumulative GPA of 1.71 uh, out of the 26th grade. So congratulations to Houston Texans. You are similar to my high school tenure, where I did not <laughs> care at all and barely passed anything. And the Seattle Seahawks coming in at 31, and the Las Vegas Raiders at 30 with that Leatherwood pick in the first round. Didn't make a ton of sense. And then you just got a mix of teams all over the place here, all over. You can, uh, well, we should post this in the group if it's not already met, but so teams, so fans can see where their team lands uh, and all these grades. So um, Matt, any, anything else you want to discuss before we say goodbye? Well, I, I do want to say a couple of things here. The Raiders were the worst GPA team out of all the picks that had a, of all the teams that had a first round pick mm-hmm. and one team without a first round pick outdrafted them. And that was the Rams. Mm-hmm. So Raiders, congratulations. You keep on trying to outsmart the room. <laughs> you keep on showing that you don't know how to do this. And at some point it's got to bite um, Mayock and Gruden in the butt. Every year with this team, every year they do something stupid in the draft. Yeah, it makes no sense. If I was a Raiders fan, Arnold Lopez, I, I do apologize. Um, one of my White Sox brethren, uh, just bad, bad, bad decision making here. And then um, off the chart, I would like to talk about um, some fifth year options. As we said, Baker Mayfield, his fifth year option was picked up. And probably the biggest one of all that I was shocked by, Randy. Leighton Vander Esch, mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys, they declined his fifth year option. Mm. So well, you, you, you draft Micah Parsons, 12 overall, and uh, Vander Esch and Smith are, are already a good duo, but Vander Esch has had injury issues. So this isn't totally surprising. If Vander Esch has a back, uh, bounce back year with those other three, I could see him getting re signed. But um, Vander Esch could be an interesting linebacker for any team next year. Uh, come in the off season. Um, 
And as something I should note, the uh, the Giants apparently really wanted Devontae Smith and the Eagles traded with the Cowboys uh, from 12 to 10 to, to trade Smith ahead of the Giants. And Smith didn't look particularly happy about it. <laughs> Smith, Smith and his Eagles photo just didn't look like he was too happy to be uh, in Philadelphia. So that brings me a little joy. But the Giants still have to play Smith twice a year now, so we'll see how that goes. Um I actually like what the Cowboys did a little bit. They're, they're, they focus mainly on defense. I think that was smart. And the Washington football team kind of reached on uh, Jameen Davis, but nonetheless, they needed a linebacker. I would have went JOK there. I'm surprised they didn't. So uh, that's your NFC East update. But Matt Bushnell, we've been on here you know, almost an hour and a half now. It's not even close to the the draft special, which if you haven't gone to check out, by, by all means, you have four hours to spare. God bless you. Uh, go check us out. <laughs> Matt's reaction at the Bears pick is worth it. I promise you. Just go do it for that alone. And my cats make an appearance too. So if you like cats, go check that out. But Matt Bushnell, the Audible is not the only uh, content on these life group um, under this life group umbrella. We have several other shows that we provide each and every week. Why don't you tell us about them? Absolutely. This is one of my um, most joyous things to do. On Thursdays, catch the Workshoot Wrestling Podcast with Corey Richmond and Jason Brooks. Um, you know, we talk a little wrestling here. We like to tie some jokes in here, Um, but you know, those guys do a terrific job. I I think they cover a lot of the stuff that you, you know, that's not a lot of mainstream, but deserves a lot of attention as WWE Monday night raw. I don't even know how that show is still even on the air, but you know what? Um, kudos to those guys for bringing attention to some of those programs that don't get attention. Um, and then Friday, we have the Step Back podcast with Jacob Anthony Moses and Leon Tompkins. NBA season's here. We got LeBron bitching about the play-in system. Lakers are in trouble. Lakers yeah. are in trouble. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so sometimes, LeBron, I love you. I think you're a terrific human. Sometimes you just got to let these things play out. You're LeBron James. Who cares? If By the you're way, right? the play-in tournament's good for basketball, LeBron. Stop it. Stop yes. being a little bitch about it. Yeah, I mean, you're LeBron freaking James. You could beat some of these teams by yourself, yeah. as you did with Cleveland. And then, you know, on Sunday, we have the Total Basis podcast with Felipe Melicio and Sean Connor Flannery. And Felipe just said, if things go well, Friday night, we could be seeing Felipe on the step back. Nice. So, yeah, he might be pulling double duty with the Sunday with the Total Basis podcast. And if you're like me and you enjoy fantasy baseball, but you're not very good at it because Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert <laughs> have basically ruined your entire season, um, check those guys out to help fill roster holes. You know, everyone needs it. And then Monday, we're back, or we're not back, but Dong City's back with Henry Maldonado Jr. and Vince Mercandetti breaking down all the big baseball news. And then Randy, I mean, these podcasts, I mean, our show comes up so quickly. Tuesday, a week from today, we're back better than ever um, with all the NFL fallout. But there's something big that's happening a week from tomorrow, Randy. Do you know what it is? It is the NFL schedule release for 2021. I have it marked on my calendar because it's one of the best days of the year every year. Yeah, I, I'm excited for it maybe we will do a special i don't know i'm well, i was gonna propose that to you instead of doing a show tuesday we wait and do the show after the schedule comes Ooh. out so stay tuned for that yeah stay tuned we'll keep you guys updated but other than that randy it's been a blast 
Yes, Matt Bush. It's always a pleasure to come on and talk football with you. We're going to enter a little bit of a lull here in the NFL offseason, off if there is one, but we're going to still provide content for you guys. And then eventually uh, come July, it'll be time to start previewing the season. And we're going to get a preseason this year, which we didn't get last year. We'll have hard knocks. It's going to be an exciting summer and an exciting 21 season for football. So uh, Matt, uh, quick before we go, let's get a little update on our bet. Uh, our, our Yankees, uh, White Sox bet, uh, which has gone, I think, poorly for both of us. Uh, the Yankees are currently 14 and 14 on May 4th. Um, they have struggled mightily throughout the first month of the season, but being 500, I'm not going to panic as of now. I believe they're up three to two on the Houston Astros. Let me double check. No, oh, oh, he's checking. It's commercial checking. right now. Commercial right now. So last I checked, it was three to two Yankees over Houston. I've read that the Yankees have given Altuve a mouthful every time he comes to the plate. You love to see it. So three, three, Houston tied it up. Okay. Uh, thanks to Mingo Ramon. Anyway, uh, Yanks looking to uh, continue with some of the roles they've been on. Giancarlo Stanton, a 10 game hitting streak. I want to throw that out there. He hit a home run tonight already. So Matt Bushnell, what's the, what's the deal with the White Sox here? We're up three to nothing, baby. Three nothing. Dylan Cease got a single tonight. Dylan Cease is striking guys out. You know, Dylan Cease starts performing. There might be hope with this team with their pitching staff, but I just need to win the bet versus you. <laughs> I, I I cannot lose this one. And I'll, I'll say this: if the White Sox do better with Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert sitting out, God help the Yankees. Yeah, it's, I, I agree. It really, it is set up nicely for the Yankees to kind of win this handily, I would say, but you know, if Robert comes back, is it Robert Robert? I don't know. Robert. Uh, Robert or whatever. If he comes back in September and the White Sox are in a position to make the playoffs, this is not just a regular season, but this is a totality of the season, whoever makes it further. So Robert comes back and sparks something with the White Sox. You never know. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right, Matt Bushnell, it has been a pleasure. Uh, wherever you guys may be watching, however you may be listening on any of the audio platforms, any of the visual platforms on Facebook Live, on YouTube, thank you guys for making us a small part of your day. Sorry if you're a Star Wars nerd, I triggered you a little earlier. That's okay. I still love all of you. We love all the support. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, on behalf of Matt Bushnell, I'm Randy Hammond saying see you guys soon. <laughs>